Welcome to the Locking Castle Podcast. This Sunday morning's teaching is part of the Bible in two years. <laughs> so this week in our reading with our Bible in two years, we have finished Genesis. <laughs> we finished well, yeah, we flew through Genesis, it felt, felt like. I know it was lots of difficult words and stuff like, well, especially difficult names, but yeah, I, I've really kind of enjoyed it, actually going there. And now we're just uh, kind of creeping into the first uh, few chapters of John now. So a recap of where we've been. So not the whole of Genesis, obviously, just this week. So uh, we've kind of went from uh, Genesis 43... Uh, so the, the famine continues. Jacob sends his sons, except Benjamin, to Egypt to buy grain. And Joseph, now a powerful official in Egypt, recognizes his brothers, but they do not recognize him. Genesis 44, Joseph tests his brothers. I think he's trying to get a little bit of revenge, really. I, I reckon if you kind of read that, he, he does give him a bit of a hard time, really. So uh, Jacob, uh, so uh, he, Joseph set, uh, tests his brothers by framing Benjamin for a theft of his, his cup and uh, proposing to keep him as a slave. But Judah intervenes, offering himself as a slave in Benjamin's place. Now, this is a really good link because Jesus is of the line of Judah. He is, uh, the, you know, he is following that and... Judah here sacrifices himself, places himself instead of his brother. Isn't that what Jesus has done in for us? He has sacrificed, he has given himself in our place. So this is a foreshadow. These little foreshadows in Genesis which point to Jesus, I think is fascinating. So Genesis uh, 45, Jesus, um, Joseph reveals his identity to his brothers. There's an emotional reunion between Joseph and his brothers, and Joseph reassures them and invites them to bring their family, father and families to Egypt. Genesis 46, Jacob and his entire family goes to Egypt in response to Joseph's invitation. God assures Jacob that he will make Israel a great nation in Egypt. 47, Joseph presents his family to Pharaoh, uh, and due to famine, Joseph manages uh, to distribute the food in Egypt and help his family settle in Goshen. The people of Egypt sell their land because it's just uh, that famine is getting so severe, and then themselves. So Pharaoh owns everything by this time uh, in exchange for food during this famine. Jacob, and then uh, 48, Jacob blesses Joseph's son, Ephraim and Manasseh, setting the younger over the older. Isn't there a little pattern going on here? It seems to be uh, kind of happening all over the place here. And Jacob um, adopts Joseph's sons as his own, making them inheritors of the family blessing. Then in Genesis 49, Jacob blesses his sons. Now, if you look through those blessings, then some of them are pretty tough, actually. Uh, some of them, you would consider them actually curses rather than blessing. But each of the 12 sons with individual prophecies about their future 
and he foretells Judah's leadership and coming of the Messiah through his lineage. So we got the prophecy here in that beginning. And then Genesis 50, we've landed in Genesis 50, the last one. Jacob dies, Joseph mourns his father, Joseph's brothers fear retaliation because uh, their father is dead, and he reassures them and acknowledging God's sovereignty. Joseph lives um, uh, to see his descendants in Egypt, and he makes them a promise to take the bones of Jacob back to Canaan. Uh, So the book of Genesis concludes with the Israelites in Egypt, setting the stage for the events of the book of Exodus, which we'll be reading after John. Okay, you got there? You're all caught up? Yeah? Okay, so there is, I, I love this parallel, these kind of bookends in the book of, um, uh, of Genesis. So the bookends start in 3, Genesis 3, and finish at 50 here. And they encapsulate the central theme of the entire book of Genesis. Uh, in, uh, in both chapters, we see the instances of human actions intended for harm, but God ultimately brings about good. In Genesis 3, Adam and Eve's uh, disobedience in the garden results in sin entering into the world, bringing with it its consequences and separation from God. Despite this, God promises redemption, even in that chapter. Restoration ultimately bringing good out of the fallen state of humanity through the hope of the future Messiah. And then in Genesis 50, we get Joseph's brothers initially intended harm by selling or even wanting to kill Joseph out of jealousy. However, Joseph recognizes God's favorable hand in the event, stating, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is being done, the saving of many lives. Can you see the connection of how it all points to Jesus? These are foreshadows of Jesus. Joseph arrives to power in Egypt not only to save his family during the famine, but also sets the stage for the eventual fulfillment of God's promises to Abraham. So in both chapter 3 and chapter 50, highlights the theme of God's sovereignty and his ability to bring about good even in the face of sin and adversity. This overarching narrative threads, no, this overarching narrative threads together and unifies the book of Genesis and sets the stage for a broader biblical story of redemption that is saving and freeing us from sin. It's awesome. Love Genesis. I love how it shows us these foreshadows. So how on earth does Genesis connect with John? Okay, there'll be a test after this, all right? So, uh, so the connection between these two books and the first three chapters of John lies in the theme of creation, fall, and redemption, as in saving us from sin, as well as the identification that Jesus, as the word, 
as the promise from Messiah has come. These are some key connections. So creation and word. Genesis begins with the creation account highlighting God's creative power and spoken word. Let there be. So when God says, let there be, and then in John, it starts by identifying Jesus is that word, what says, let this be, let it be. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Both highlighting the role of the word in divine creative and redemptive purposes. So the the fall and redemption. So Genesis 3 narrates the fall of humanity through disobedience, introducing sin and separation from God. But John presents the solution to um, humanity's fallen state is through Jesus and belief in him. He says, but to all who receive him, who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become the children of God. So the the former humanity is now being made into a new humanity. We are new creatures in Christ Jesus. We're brand new human beings. Well, thank you, Adele. That's, that's great. So we're actually brand new human beings. He is the firstborn, okay? He is the first one to kind of show that humanity can come back to God, he is called the second Adam. And we've got the first Adam over here. No, that's, <laughs> we, we have the, the second Adam. So you can see how it all fits together that we, if we believe in him, are born again. We're born from heaven by the spirit, not by just the flesh. And so we are brand new, those ones who are following Jesus, we are brand new human beings. We are new creation. You shiny, happy people, look at that. The promised seed and Messiah, so Genesis uh, 3, uh, 15 says, speaks of the uh, seed of the woman will crush the serpent's head, pointing to the future Messiah. And then John introduces Jesus to the fulfillment of this prophecy, that he is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. He is the lamb what crushes the serpent's head. Genesis shows the brokenness of this world due to sin. And he reveals that Jesus is the new agent of this creation, offering spiritual rebirth. And then you got the light and darkness. In Genesis, God separates the light from the darkness during creation. And then John describes Jesus as the light that shines in the darkness, bringing salvation and understanding. Yeah, seeing all these links here. So by drawing these parallels, the gospel of John establishes Jesus as the fulfillment of the promises and the themes introduced by the book of Genesis emphasizing that he is in the job of saving us. The purpose of God throughout history and the, connect, uh, the connections help tie the Old Testament to the New Testament. The old is not 
past in that sense. It points us to all what Jesus has done, presenting a coherent story and the plan for creation and our salvation. Isn't that awesome? Now, I could go, uh, go through the, the uh, Gospel of John, a little bit of those, but the only thing I, because uh, I've really kind of mentioned about chapter 1 and 3, chapter 2 is an, a bit of an anomaly because no other Gospel mentions the wedding at Cana. No other of the Gospels actually say about Jesus performs his first miracle, which is the turning of water into wine. And this just shows that he is, well, it glorifies Jesus that he made the water into wine. It's one of the seven. And now the Gospel of John has lots of numbers in it. And there's seven miracles which he mentions, which point to Jesus' glory. Okay, so um, then we have the cleansing of the temple. Now, some scholars think it happened twice, not just the once because of the kind of time frame in this, uh, he, where he drives out the money changers from the temple, expressing his uh, zeal for God's house. And then he does a cryptic kind of prediction of his death and resurrection by referring to the destruction of the temple and building it in three days, when it's uh, taken 46 years to build the actual temple itself. So he was being a little bit cryptic there. So there we are. So a bit of chapter two. So you may be thinking, how on earth am I going to land in any of these areas? Well, like I've illustrated earlier on with the balloons, I think it, this is particularly um, poignant for us as an ecumenical partnership. So I'm just going to run this little, little video. I'll just... Um, just to get, give you a flavor of what it is, and I read this verse again, and this is where I'm landing, is John 3, verse 8, and it's a verse from the Bible, says, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. This verse spoken by Jesus carries a profound message about the mysterious and unpredictable nature of the Holy Spirit's work in a believer's life. So as you can see, you don't know where the wind has come from or where it's going through those. It, it blows in different directions. I could watch that all day, by the way. Have you ever been in a cornfield and you've seen the wind just ripple through... The, uh, the, the whole field, and it comes in different directions. I could uh, watch that all day, but this is what we're supposed to be like. Okay, could you, uh, yeah, take the sound off, right? This is what we're supposed to be like. Grass? No, not so much grass, but, but you could say that we're, we're, we're kind of to be moved by the Spirit, not uprooted, but actually moved, that we have this flexibility to move. Now, I've been reflecting on this in the context of our church. Now, 
we are a unique church, that we are an ecumenical partnership. We have four denominations in one, okay? We are C of E, we are Baptists, we are Methodists, and you are United Reformed, okay? Now, I've had many conversations about how on earth does this work? Because in many places, ecumenical partnerships do not work. Now, we've been studied by some denominations because uh, we stand out as an anomaly, okay? Uh, you know, because this ecumenical partnership works. Now, throughout history, many denominations have developed distinct traditions and doctrines and formulas to guide their practices and beliefs, which seem to be incompatible sometimes. And they can cause friction between. In our journey of faith, there is a constant call to rediscover the roots and maintain a connection with the foundational principles that emphasize spiritual authenticity and vitality. Now, all the denominations seek to do this. Even in their pure form when they started, it was very much like a movement, but then it becomes institutionalized. And the formulas or the things which may have guided them at the beginning become law, and there is no real movement. So they become, well, it becomes rigor mortis in some ways. These rigid traditions and doctrinal formulas may inhibit the dynamic move of the Holy Spirit. And I feel Locking Castle Church demonstrates the fact that denomination is not the original design of the church. We're not supposed to be fragmented like this with different thoughts and different processes and formulas and traditions and doctrines. I think we take the best of all those denominations and through the guidance and leading of the Holy Spirit, we do our own thing. And that's why it works. So the imagery in John 3 where that the wind is blowing is likened to that wind that blows unpredictably, underscores the idea that the Spirit's work cannot be confined by human expectations or institutional norms. It encouraged the continual journey of rediscovering our foundational principles of faith and maintaining a vibrant connection with spiritual roots, fostering a living and an authentic expression of one's faith journey. Now, I'm not saying that we should ignore all our traditions. No, it's not being bound by them. I want to celebrate our ecumenicalness. I love it. I love it because I'm not constrained by any, but I have the freedom to use any. Last week, we'd done our covenant service, which is part of the Methodist tradition. 
and we take from what we have around us and make it to what we need it to be. And I want to celebrate our ecumenical partnership. I love it that Locking Castle is unique, but let us be careful to maintain the unity through, we, uh, the, uh, through the bond of peace by the Holy Spirit. Let us not be locked into a certain way of doing things, but seek and live for the unpredictable nature of the wind of the Spirit. To be believers not bound by religious traditions or by the phrase, we've always done it that way. Yeah? That is death to a church. We've always done it this way. But by the Spirit who guides and leads us into all truth. Let's be careful. Let's not be predictable. But seek the wind of the Spirit. Who we are part of. And we are born because of heaven. He transforms us to help us to be all what we can be in this world. Blowing in the wind. Flexible changeable, transforming, not uprooted from our foundation, which is Christ. Thank you for listening. To find out more about Locking Castle Church, please visit our website at lockingcastlechurch.org.